Courage to Hope with Tony LaGreca is a show supporting the fight for sobriety against substance abuse and changing the stigma that comes along with it. Tony has been helping families, friends, and loved ones discover recovery services as well as coping skills for over six years following the death of his own son to opioids. Join Tony and his guests each week as they reveal the courage to hope. Here's your host, Tony LaGreca. Well, thank you, Ben. Tonight we have a very interesting guest and I'm very excited to, to interview and let you know some of the information that he has. This is Ed Bish and Ed's from Philadelphia. And he was one of the front guys way back in the beginning of the opioid epidemic. Welcome, Ed. Hi, Dad. Thanks a lot, Tony. Yes, so um, I just met Ed back in December 3rd, actually, 2021, um, we were doing a rally in Washington, D.C. at the Attorney General's building. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna play a, a tape of what was recorded during that, during that time that we were doing the march. And so we're gonna go for that right at this time. So then you'll be able to hear Ed and all the things he has to say regarding it. We're actually asking the DOJ to prosecute the Sackler family, the makers of OxyContin. So my daughter Victoria died of an overdose in January 22nd, 2018. I'm here with her ashes. My mother, I lost her in 2017. And I'm here to, in an effort to try and hold the Department of Justice and the Sackler family accountable. We are fed up! We are fed up! What do we want? I'm here protesting with a bunch of fine people for a good cause. This opioid crisis is killing millions of people. Our son died of uh, an opioid uh, overdose about a year and a half ago. I lost my daughter, my only daughter, and my best friend. What family owns Purdue Pharma? Who let this family walk free while nearly a million children and loved ones died. The Justice Department pursues announced that the DOJ will focus on white-collar crimes. Well, actions speak louder than words. DOJ, prosecute! The pain that you and your families have endured caused by Purdue and its false marketing of opioids is unimaginable. Has there ever, ever been a crime in American history with more destruction more death, more victims, more harm than this one. No. No. no, no, there has not. Biggest drug cartel in America will walk away unscathed. What's really important for us that are standing here now, we are the biggest lobby in the United States. We need the Department of Justice to indict the Sacklers for their crimes yes. against Americans. Please, please, we need justice for these families. Sacklers lie, children die. Sacklers lie, children die. He died from fentanyl intoxication. He died at 25 years old. This thing literally has affected, destroyed families, lives, careers. Well. You can see that was a real powerful 
video, audio. So you can actually go to YouTube and see the people who were doing the speaking on that. Um, Ed, what is that? How do they, what do they look up on the video to, to go to YouTube? Um, I'm, I'll send you a link. You can post it, but you can look up me on Facebook, Ed Bish. It's on my timeline. And on Twitter, look up at EJB1893, EJB1893, and it's my pinned tweet. And if you look at that, there's a few videos, and that video is part of the string. Well, um, Ed, you've been a front runner in this going back to 2001, and we know you've done a lot of things uh, regarding uh, making sure that everybody knows who Purdue, that Purdue Farmer is and who the Sackler family is. So the name of the company that you have um, is RAP, RAB, right? How do you say it? Uh, RAP, Relatives Against Purdue Pharma. So I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I'm going to make a long story short, but going back to 2001. So February 19th, President's Day that year, 2001. I was at work in downtown Philadelphia. I get a call from my daughter, 16-year-old daughter. Dad, Eddie's turning blue and he's not breathing. I was like, call 911. I ran outside. I jumped in the cab. I was only 15 minutes away from Center City, telling the cab to hurry up, praying, Longest 15 minutes of my life. I jump out of the car at the corner. I see an ambulance in front of my house. I said, thank you, God. I started running up the street. And then I noticed that there was two guys sitting in the ambulance. And they looked at me and I looked at them and they said, sorry, sir. And I said, don't tell me he's dead. They said, sorry, sir. Nothing we could do. I let out a scream. I ran in the house and my brother was already there. He stopped me from running up, up the steps. And it's like, you know what? How? Well, next thing I know, about five of Eddie's friends are outside. And I knew they had a party the night before because he was a senior in high school. They were all off for President's Day. And they planned to have a, you know, a teenage party. I went out and I said, tell me, what did he do? They said, an oxy. I said, what the heck's an oxy? They said, an oxycontin. I said, I never heard of that. They said, it's like a strong Percocet. I said, no, no, my son's dead in his bed. I went back inside and I had my head down crying at the table. And a police sergeant came in and he said, Oxy, kids are dying left and right from this stuff. I popped my head up. I jumped up. I said, what? Kids are dying left and right. And I never even heard the word before. And I read the paper every day. I watched the news every night. And my son's dead from this new pill. And he said that. And then a reporter came in and they said, 
there's been 23 deaths in the last three months in the Philadelphia area. And that even made me more mad. And I knew right then and there, I had to warn as many people as I could. So that very night, we had a fax machine in the house. We started faxing high schools, warning about this new deadly pill that kids are dying from. Um, I was in the Philadelphia Daily News, the Sunday Inquirer. We called a press conference at the police station, and every channel in Philadelphia covered it. And so my, my, I just wanted to warn as many people as I could. I, I just couldn't believe it. We got on the Internet. Google wasn't even around then. So it was Yahoo or probably Yahoo. And we looked it up and we started seeing all these addiction and death stories from West Virginia and Maine, maybe even some from Boston. I can't remember, but nothing from Philadelphia. So... Ever since that day, ever since that day, you know, I, I, I wanted to warn kids. So this was in February. In August of 2001, the very first congressional hearing was held in Ben Salem, PA, which is just north of Philly. So what had happened there was a pill mill doctor in Ben Salem, PA, flooding the Philadelphia neighborhoods with pills. And my son got one of them last pills, okay? So this came out in the paper. So I go to this congressional hearing in August. Produce presidents there, their lawyers are there, their, their doc, top doctor is there. And the congressman was grilling them pretty hard. And I'm thinking, wow, what's going on here? So the congressman said, we know through IMS data that your company knows, knew exactly how many pills this pill mill doctor, Dr. Richard Paolino, was prescribing. And I want to know why you did not notify the authorities. Well, produce president starts mumbling, then his lawyer jumps in. And I forget why he said, but it, it wasn't nothing good. There was no excuse. So I left that meeting thinking, wow, you know. And then more and more stuff came out about Purdue, the, the death and addiction stories. And then we found out that Purdue was their Two biggest things that they did. Number one, they told doctors less than 1% of patients get addicted, which was an out-and-out out lie, okay? That was proven eventually. But they would tell doctors that. But they also, their other big lie was pseudo-addiction. If someone appears to be addicted, they're not really addicted. You just got to increase the dosage and give them more drugs so they're not really addicted and it sounds crazy but doctors actually believed them and they went so far as they this was shown in the movie dope sick 
they they had jury raid charts. You know, they falsified charts. It, it, it was, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people here are familiar with the Purdue story. Um, the Hulu series, Dope Sick, if, if anybody listening has not seen that, you have to see it. Uh, uh, the book Empire Pains Out on HBO, um, Crime of the Century, properly named Crime of the Century, on Peacock and Paramount Networks, The Forgotten Epidemic, Beth Macy, Dr. R. Van Zee, and I'm in it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of info out there. So, um, you know, that, 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 that's kind of a summary. So, but like, I, I'd like to talk now. So how I met you, Tony, and I did see some of your interviews on TV before, and uh, you did a really good job. So, so what had happened was I was thinking about doing a protest because, well, let me back up. So this was, I was very active from 2001 to like 2011. Around 2011, 2012, I was burnout. So I, I, I stepped away. I stepped back. I, I would still look at news articles, but my activism stopped. And then in, I think it was 2018, 2019, maybe, I think it's January 2019, I saw the Massachusetts lawsuit that Mara Healy launched. And more importantly, they got that online. So I read the lawsuit and I read that they had the evidence. And I said, I got to get back involved. So I started making phone calls. I called Joanne Peterson, who you know, and uh, a bunch of old, older rap members. And I told them what's going on. And uh, so at the time, there, there was hundreds and hundreds of lawsuits against Purdue. And then Purdue says, we're declaring bankruptcy. I saw that headline. I was happy until I read the story. So Purdue's going out of business, and the Sacklers are going to give some of their blood profits back, but only if they get immunity. And not just they get immunity. Pretty much anybody, whoever was anybody who worked for them, gets immunity. I I read that article and I said out loud, this is a bankruptcy scam. This is all about Sacklers buying immunity from all these charges that I just read in this lawsuit, buying immunity for a small percentage, less than one third of the blood profits that they're going to give back and then to learn that they're going to give it back over 10 years. And so, you know, that was the initial lawsuit. So then I got involved in the bankruptcy. I hooked up with Nan Golden. 
who's who's an artist and activist. She's the person who did the protest at the Guggenheim and met. And the Sackler name has been taken down from a lot of museums, thanks to Nan Golden and her group Pain. So it's me, her. Yeah, Ed, just talking about Nan Golden and uh, to give everybody the kind of the sense of what actually happened. Uh, Nan was addicted um, to oxys and it pretty much she lost three or four years of her life through this addiction. And she's a famous artist at the same time. Um, and she lost everything. And then she came, she came, she got sober. And in the uh, deposition that Richard Sackler said, he said that we're going to do this and we're going to get pretty much, he pretty much said, everybody's going to get addicted and we're going to have a blizzard of prescriptions. And so if anybody hasn't been in the Guggenheim, it's kind of a circular building and it's a stairwell that is all open in the middle and it goes up about 10 floors. Um, about a thousand people showed up at five o'clock before closing time. And I heard a whistle blow and we had, they had fake prescriptions and they just let them all fly from the top floors. And we had people lying on the floor down below, covering, covering up, uh, getting covered up by these blizzard of prescriptions and big banners and everything to make, to make it aware so that um, what the Sacklers were doing to try to get people to, uh, to think that they're not bad people is they donated $50 million to, of their blood money to the Guggenheim. And we got on national TV, we did everything. And that was a big step going forward in, in parts of our protests. And um, that's, that's who Nan Golden is. I just want to make sure that people get this image. And we had to get, the, we had to get the, the word out. We've been trying to get the word out since, since you started back in 2001. And we're still here. We are in 2022. And we're still, still fighting the battle, which we shouldn't be. It's, it's unbelievable. So one of the things I was able to do back in, back in 2007, so Purdue was charged with felonies. Anybody who watched Dope Sick, you're well, well aware of this. Uh, so 2007, the lead, the lead uh, investigator was Rick Mountcastle, okay? So you guys just heard Rick speak a little in that tape. He was in D.C. with us. But going back to 2007, he spent five years investigating Purdue. He wrote a 120-page memo, 120 pages detailing their crimes. Okay? They sent that to the DOJ, and Purdue had hired Rudy Giuliani, and Mary Jo White, who used to run the SEC, and the higher-ups, as high as the Deputy Attorney General, somebody squashed that memo. So I was one of 19 people invited to give a short victim statement. Joanne Peterson was also there. A lot of RAP members were there. And we were allowed to talk for one minute. And there was 19 of us. And we all pleaded for jail time. 
Well, the judge then spoke and he apologized to us. He was apologetic. He said that he believes that they deserve jail time, but he has to follow the recommendations of the prosecutors. Well, the prosecutors were recommending jail time. They wanted felonies. The judge never got to see this 120-page memo. So this is 2007. So Purdue wind up paying at the time a $600 million fine. Sounds like a lot of money. But that year, they sold $2 billion in OxyContin. Not only that, after 2007, when they didn't get no jail time, instead of slowing down, they tripled the sales force, the sales went up, and the deaths went up. And even worse, other companies saw how much money they were making and nothing happened to them except give back a small portion of your money. And other companies just follow Purdue's playbook. And when I say Purdue Pharma and the Sacklers are the architects of the opioid epidemic, and I, I call I call the Sacklers who were responsible the Sackler cartel. So bringing all the way up today. So anyway, so what gave me the idea to do this Washington DC rally was was I was thinking, well, what can we do? Well, Lisa Monaco, is, is, who is the Deputy Attorney General, had a press conference. And in that press conference, she, she said that this DOJ was going to come down hard on white-collar criminals. And I said to myself, who, who's the deadliest white-collar criminals in this country? Who? The Sacklers, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why gave me the idea. That's why gave me the idea. So I put the word out, and we wound up having 200 people in Washington D.C. in December, and we had all-star speakers. Danny Strong, the the showrunner for Dope Sick, he was there. Uh, Rick Montcastle, the lead prosecutor, was there. Uh, Paul Pelletier, who was a financial investigator in 07, was there. Beth Macy was there. Dan Schneider, the pharmacist, which is another great show to watch. That's on Netflix. It's called The Pharmacist. He was there. Ryan Hampton. Anybody really wants to know the true story of this Purdue bankruptcy scam, Ryan Hampton was on the official committee. He got so disgusted, he quit. And he put out a book, How Corrupt This Is. So his book is called Unsettled. And anybody interested, anybody wants to read a crime book, read Unsettled. Because what happened in this bankruptcy scam is a crime. And that... To catch you up to date, what's going on now? So, make a long story short, I got involved. I got on this ad hoc committee with Nan Golden, and we called ourselves the Ad Hoc Committee on Accountability. Because one of the reasons why Purdue got away with this for so many years, they always settle 
they always seal the records. So all the evidence, even 07, that, that evidence is sealed. That 120-page memo has not seen the light of day. We keep on hoping somehow it gets into the public. But what happened was there was a six-page summary of the 120-page memo, and I'll send you the link. Um, that was leaked. That's public. And that summarizes the felony crimes that they had Purdue dead to rights on. And like I said, if it wasn't squashed at the highest level. Another, another thing that inspired the D.C. rally on um, WBUR up in your neighborhood, public radio, Mara Healy was being interviewed. And the guy asked her, well, how come you don't criminally prosecute? And she said, the states are not equipped to criminally prosecute. But, and he says, but have you seen evidence? And do you think the DOJ should prosecute? And she says, I do. And it's the case that they should make. So you got Maura Healy, the Attorney General of Massachusetts, an insider publicly saying, I have seen the evidence and the DOJ should prosecute. So that's what we did in DC. We were, we asked specifically Lisa Monaco, the deputy attorney general, just look at the evidence, follow the evidence, follow the money. And the, the, the people who gave speeches you could build a case just on the speeches that were made that day. Of course, you got to prove them. But Morris Healy's telling us they have the proof. And uh, I just want to say, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of Mar because she was the very first one to name the Sacklers in the lawsuit, and she really brought down Purdue the company. So. Even though we're fighting for ultimate justice, just the fact that Purdue is going bit out of business is a victory. And I do hope Mar becomes governor of Massachusetts. Well, <clears throat> that's a good plug for her. Uh, she has done the most of anybody I've seen across the country, except for Attorney General Tang from, from uh, Connecticut. Uh, I did. There's, there's, he did file an appeal from the bankruptcy because he did not want the Sacklers to have financial immunity. And where do we stand with that now? Okay, well, let me tell you about this. So we, our ad hoc committee, our goal was to, you know, make sure that stuff gets out in the open and this just wasn't a whitewash. So as, as it stands now, so what would happen, our lawyer would make arguments in court and at times, the judge actually ridiculed him. And a judge should not do that. The hand-picked judge, by the way, I don't know if people realize this, they're in bankruptcy court in White Plains, New York. Everybody knows Purdue Farmers in Stamford, Connecticut, right? Yep. So it wasn't illegal, but it is a loophole in the bankruptcy law. All you have to do is get a P.O. box, little one-room office, 
and pay, you know, just say, yeah, okay, this is Purdue format. So they picked White Plains, New York, which had one bankruptcy judge who handled big cases. So they knew before anybody else who their judge was going to be. They handpicked this judge. So, you know, that's what you're dealing with from the beginning. So one of the arguments Mike made was these third-party releases. So Purdue, uh, the Sacklers were going to donate X amount of money, but they want these releases. I don't want to give them a release. So they're called non-consensual releases. Well, Mike said they're illegal. They're unconstitutional. He was almost laughed out of court. But guess what? A.G. Tong and others appealed it. And the appeal court, they said these, they, they upheld the appeal because they said the third party releases are illegal. So in the end, you know, our lawyer was right. And it's, it's, it's satisfying, but now, of course, now Purdue's appealing this, and uh, this might wind up in the Supreme Court because it's not just it's it got bigger than that. There's bills in Congress. Um, Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts, she's trying to reform the bankruptcy loopholes. Uh, so this really put it put a light. It put a big spotlight on how cor corrupt and how slanted the bankruptcy system is to big companies. Well, yeah, um, it's called the, the, the billionaire's way out, you know? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And then for those that don't know, um, after the court case in 2007, um, Richard Sackler decided to double and triple his sales. And they were doing that by telling the doctors that you just need to, if they're, uh, if you think they might be addicted or because they have a need for this, it's because you're not giving them enough. So you go from 80 Oxycontin, 80 milligrams of Oxycontin a day up to 160. And they figured out that they could double their profits without increasing many of their expenses by just increasing the dose. So after, between 2008 and 2010, the Sackler family withdrew over $11 billion, over $11 billion out of the company. And knowing that this day might have come where they were going to have to file bankruptcy and all that money. And I, I have to I have to laugh. I watched the, uh, the committee interviewing um, Richard Sackler's son. I think it's Dave Sackler. David. And David and, his, and Richard Sackler's cousin, Kathy. And, and she, he said, but, you know, he says, well, well, we had to pay taxes on that $11 billion. And he was like whining about it, you know. And then, and the, but the worst, uh, most disgusting thing was that Kathy Sackler said, at the, she asked, Miss Harrington asked, she said, do you, do you have any regrets knowing now that at the time, like over 500,000 people have died because of what you and your brother have done, your cousin have done? And she said, no, I don't think so. She hesitated for a minute and she said, no, I wouldn't change anything. No, I mean, she, how, how unsensitive could you possibly be? That was, that was shocking. One of the congressmen actually said 
I do not know of a more evil family than yours in America. So basically, right. he called them America's most evil family. Um, it, it, it was a great tongue lashing, okay? They took a tongue lashing. But guess what? Without any criminal charges, that is all that is. So we held our, we, what, we held our rally in D.C. So before that, we had sent the DOJ three letters asking to meet with them. Well, we, we sent them a fourth letter, and our lawyer during the rally got an email or text that we were going to have a meeting with the DOJ. And that meeting has happened and happened a few weeks ago. The DOJ, they're not allowed to say anything they're doing, but they listened. They listened to what we had to say. And like, you know, it, 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 I, I felt that they really listened and cared, but now they got to take the next step. And basically yeah. what I asked them, I told them what Mara Healy said. And I said, I just need you to look at the evidence and make an honest decision. And you know, if they make an honest decision, a non-political decision, what that will be. That will be the pursuit charges. But that's why I am pretty much asking everyone and begging you, please send an email to the DOJ. Tony will have the link up. Just go to the DOJ page. Send it to the Deputy Attorney General, Lisa Monaco, especially since she grew up in Boston and a lot of the people listening are from the Boston area. Somebody, one of your listeners might even know her. Just, you know, follow the evidence, follow the money. We're not telling you to persecute an innocent family or person. Look at the evidence and follow the money. Absolutely. And by the way, that'll be on the WMEX. I'm actually going to have my own page shortly, and that'll be on the WMEX website. So anybody, just WMEXBoston.com is where the website is. Very easy to do. We really need hundreds and thousands of people to do this. Ed is going all over the country. He's doing podcasts everywhere. He needs help. We need help. Going back to the very beginning, when the two guys in the ambulance told you that uh, there was nothing they could do. And we're really sorry, sir. Uh, that's about the worst words you can ever hear from a parent and the people. And I, last night I was in the grief group um, and every single time we get into these grief groups, get four new people in the grief group who lost one lost his son three weeks ago. And and I say lost, but he died three weeks ago because he didn't, you know, you lose your keys. You, your son died, you know, and when and when they say that, it's the most sinking feeling that a parent could ever feel. And somebody needs to pay for this. I mean, over right now, it's close to a million deaths 
of from opioids, a million, maybe more than a million, but a million since, recorded deaths. You know, it's been over over a million since OxyContin started in 1996. There have been over a million deaths. Now, a lot of them ain't from Oxy per se, but a lot of them were. And so today, now we're in a period where fentanyl is actually causing most of the deaths, illegal fentanyl, and you have counterfeit pills, which is basically fentanyl, it's poisoning. It's not even an overdose. If a kid buys a Xanax to calm their nerves, which they shouldn't do, but they do it. If they buy a Xanax and it's actually fentanyl, and they take it and die, that's a poisoning. But, uh, you know, if, it, if, if not for Purdue creating two generations of opioid, you, you know, just pushing opioids, making it popular, anyone who got addicted, you, you know, now they moved on. Luckily, some of them got clean, but, you know, pe people have to realize in that. So I belong to a, a group on Facebook. It's called the, the uh, Lost Faces of Fentanyl. No, Lost Voices of Fentanyl. And someone brought up that point. They said, what happened to your son in 2001 is happening to hundreds of parents a day now. Because these kids are dying, and some of these parents never even heard the word fentanyl, and it's it, it's just horrible. It's it's worse than ever. So you know, I I do want to mention too. So they're making a big thing about the Sacklers up in. Originally, they were going to give three and a half billion dollars over ten years. Okay. So then they upped it to four and a half billion. And now because the appeal, they're offering five and a half billion. Well, the extra billion, instead of over 10 years, it's 18 years now. So they keep on making a big deal like, oh, we need this money right now to help people. Well, <clears throat> you know, it, it, it's documented. I just looked it up today in one year. The opioid epidemic cost this country almost $200 billion a year, okay? So it sounds like a lot of money, but in the grand scheme, it's not going to change much. It's really not. And there's other, there's other money out there. You know, the other companies that file Purdue's leads, okay, hit them with huge billion-dollar fines. But the problem is all these companies, they're paying billions, but they still get to keep billions of blood money. So without prosecution, where is the deterrent? Where is the deterrent? And I'm just talking about Purdue now. So they're offering give 5.5 billion back. Well, they made 13 billion. So we'll give you less than half of the blood money back over 10 years by the way and they they've proven that if not only over 10 years 
they're it's back loaded. They're paying most of the money at the end. So in the meantime, if they get 5% interest in 10 years, they're going to have more money than they do today. It's, it's really a scam. It really okay. is. So let's, let's just people so that really don't understand this epidemic. The spigot, as you called it the other day, the spigot yep. is you, the, the people get a prescription. The, the, as my, my own personal survey of over 200 parents who, who've had a child die, um, the biggest thing is I always ask, how did they get started? And your son was actually the exception because he was at a party. Most right. people, most people have their wisdom teeth out when they're 16 or 17. The doctor gives them some Percocets or some Vicodin. And, you know, he said, well, we, you only have to take three or four. Or it, it, even up until two years ago, they would give them a 30 day supply. Well, we know through the history that out of that, the, just the people that are getting the Vicodins and the Percocets, that 5% of the people get their wisdom teeth out are still on them a year later. So they have right. become addicted and anybody can become addictive. And that's what we need to, that's one of the things that I try to do is get the message out to the parents is that, yo, oh, it's not your child. It is your child because any child could sprain an ankle, could have their appendix out, could be even emotionally distressed. The doctors are still prescribing opioids. Now I had my knee out, I got a new knee replacement and they constantly pushed it on me and said, oh, you don't want this breakthrough pain. You don't want to do this, you want that. And it got to the point where the, I, I actually had a supervisor, a nurse come by and they made me sign a document that I was refusing to get a prescription of opioids. And why, why do we still do that? That's the thing I ask you, why yeah. is that still so prevalent? And, and my, my grandson got his wisdom teeth out and they still kept pushing on him, pushing on him. And, you know, he knows he knows all my stories, so he's not interested. And they still it's, did it's, that, though. You know, it's like, especially what? with the younger, especially with the younger kids. I mean, personally, I, I would take it short term just for short term pain. But they shouldn't give you a 30 day prescription, you know. They should give you just enough to last a couple days, in in my opinion. So the one thing, so you, you know, this opioid epidemic, and I'm I'm going to ask you, Tony, uh, how much time do we have left? I should have wrote it down. Uh, uh, about 15 more minutes. Okay, good. So we can get into it. So going back to Purdue, um. So talk about corruption. I always say Purdue Farm is villain number one. The FDA is villain number two. Absolutely. And people who, who watch Dope Sick or read, a, read any of the books, but to make a long story short, the person at the FDA who Purdue was dealing with was named Curtis Wright, Dr. Curtis Wright. Well, before OxyContin and Richard Sackler bragged, they got OxyContin approved in 11 months. It usually takes years. Purdue went down to FDA headquarters, got a hotel room for three days, and Dr. Curtis Wright, who was in charge of approving OxyContin, went over to that hotel room. So 
So when when OxyContin was approved in record time with no studies backing up their claims, they were allowed to say the magic wording, which was um, extended release opioids are believed to be less addictive than immediate release opioids. Believed. What kind of scientific, you know, who believes it, right? They actually got that in the package insert and then Purdue took that to doctors and they tell the doctors it's less addictive, doc. It says here, and doc, less than 1% of patients get addicted. And, you know, like you said, later on when they said, well, if someone looks like they're addicted, they're not really addicted. They just need more of the drug, doctor, up their dosage. But the FDA, Curtis Wright, let them do this, met with them for three days. This is in that six-page memo. This was all part of the 120-page memo. This was in the six-page recap this, this evidence came out in. This is fact. So, so anyway, so a couple years later, Curtis Wright leads the FDA, goes to work to, for some small drug company, was only there 11 months, and then Purdue Pharma hires him almost 400 grand a year. And he went to work for Purdue. This is the guy who approved OxyContin with the magic word. And and, uh, so now FDA, totally, totally incompetent in my, my opinion. So they finally tried to, so they made a big deal. They made a big deal in, in actually late 2001. So this was 96 when Curtis Wright met with him in the hotel. In 2001, they give OxyContin a black box warning, which is like supposed to say the doctor's warning. But they also changed the wording that OxyContin was approved for long use, pretty much indefinite use. So again, instead of slowing things down, it increased the sales. Cause not, so now Purdue go the sales reps go to doctors and say, look, doc, FDA says it's good for indefinite use and less than 1% get addicted. The, the whole spiel. The whole spiel. And that's why I say FDA is villain number two, and Curtis Wright should be in jail, in my opinion. Is he still working at Purdue? No, he's not there. I don't know where he's at now. Uh, but he he worked there for a few years. I mean, he they tripled his salary. So making four hundred grand a year, just you know, you probably made a million or two, right? So so the so the FDA, and then the FDA under Janet Woodcock, okay. Not only did they do that, they kept on improving stronger opioids. There was a drug called Zohydro, which was a super strong Vicodin. Okay, so the advisory panel set, voted 12 to 2, do not, do not approve this. 
Well, Janet Woodcock and the FDA approved it anyway. They they did nothing. They they uh, enabled the opioid epidemic. Like I said, a lot of people they saw what Purdue was doing and they just took their playbook and ran with it. The only agency ever to do something was the CDC. The CDC, after it came out that life expectancy in America was going down, partly due, mostly due to all the overdoses, the guy at the time who ran the CDC said, I got to do something. So they came out, they declared, they declared the opioid epidemic a national emergency, and they changed the guidelines. But what happened was the guidelines were for doctors to taper patients off. Well, quite frankly, some bad doctors, some lazy doctors, instead of tapering patients off, they just cut them off. So you got someone who's been taking Oxycontin for five years, and then they use these guidelines, excuse me, I'm not going to give you Oxycontin anymore. These people went into immediate withdrawal, and a lot of them turned to heroin. It was horrible. So the CDC, they did a good thing. So talk about the spigot. So Dan Schneider, pharmacist, explained it this way. Okay, right now we got these overdoses and they're overflowing from the basin. And a lot that's overflowing are from heroin and fentanyl now. It says, but the spigot running, the spigot is all these people getting prescribed pills and then getting addicted. So you're never going to stop the basin from overflowing until you slow down the spigot. You got to turn it down. And that's what happened. Before this illegal fentanyl hit, overdose deaths for a year or two started to go down, actually. But then fentanyl hit and then COVID hit. And it just, it's a national disaster. But just to show you, so another thing Purdue did, they they funded multiple pain orgs. And some of them, they actually ran. So these pain orgs advocated for freer prescribing. So right now, from pressure from pain orgs and patients, the CDC is going to open up the regulations again. And hopefully they don't, they're not going to go back to the way it was. And uh, I'm going to be posting stuff because people can comment. It's not a done deal yet, but they are changing the regulations. But if they open the spigot again, especially now with record overdose, it's going to be a disaster. I mean, I feel for, you know, That's another thing what Purdue used to do. They used to bring these chronic pain patients to tell how bad they need their drug. Well, every time, and they even did this in 2007, they bring up a a person who've had five back operations, who has a rod in their spine, 
yes. You know, if OxyContin was marketed for severe pain only because it's a heavy-duty drug, none of this would have happened. But instead, produce all dollar signs, so they pushed it for moderate pain. They were pushing it for menstrual cramps, for headaches, okay? I think it was around 2011. They even got the FDA to approve it for children, Oxycontin for right. children. How greedy do you need to be? You're saying all the trouble and all the deaths this is causing, and you're going to give it to little kids? But, yep, they got approved. And the FDA, villain number two. So one of the things that we, we were able to do, Janet Woodcock, who was there for all of this, they were going, she was acting commissioner FDA. It came out that they wanted to make her permanent commissioner. So RAP and other groups, we protested against Janet Woodcock. Senators got got behind us, and we were able to stop Janet Woodcock from getting this job. So that, that, was, that was, you know, a small victory. I mean, it's a long, hard battle. We were fighting Goliath. But, you know, as bad as it is, if people like me and Ann Golden and you yourself and Joanne Peterson, if we didn't do what we did, it would even be worse. It, it really would. So these CDC guidelines, like I said, I'm going to be posting something soon. I'm waiting to hear from this doctor who's revealing them. And we're, we're going to recommend that people make a comment because we don't want to go back to how it was where they were giving out opioids for like every little thing. And it, it's, it's pretty yeah, it's, important. It was originally for end of life end of life care so that when somebody's dying of cancer and they're in severe pain it's not going to bother affect them that's not Def, definitely oxycontin should be for severe pain only so that, another thing that people might not realize part of this bankruptcy scam if this does get approved if this does get approved so purdue's going on our business but the government the taxpayers are going to own Purdue Pharma. It's called a public benefit company. So they're going to sell OxyContin and they're going to fund rehabs, some rehabs, with sales of OxyContin. That was one of the things our, my committee fought hard against, but, you, you know, we couldn't stop it. And... So the government and whatever the government sells, me and you, we're the taxpayers, right? We fund the government. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's called a PBC. Uh, they actually have a name. I forget the name of this company that, that, that it's going to be called, but everybody's going to know. And it, it's, like I said, it's, to me, it's a big bankruptcy scam. They should dissolve Purdue as far as OxyContin, reclassify it for severe pain only, let another company buy the rights, 
And that's what they could do. They could sell the rights. And, um, but the, it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, um, Ed, uh, so we, before we run out of time, in the bankruptcy that's currently, now that the appeal has happened, where is the immunity to the Sacklers stand? Are we still, are they getting oh, immunity just financially? No, not right, not right now, but right now, the judge has forced the states, there was nine states holding out who wouldn't give them immunity. All the other states agreed to give them immunity. So now they're in negotiations and that current negotiation goes to March 3rd. And because they're offering more money, and like I said, the new money's over 18, 18 years. You know, that's not all these settlements. No one ever said anybody who wants to go to rehab can go to rehab for free. And that's what should happen. All this money that these states are getting, but nobody has ever stayed. And every state is in charge of the money and doing what they think's best. And I know Massachusetts, they're probably going to be the gold standard how to help people. But it ain't like they're saying, okay, if, if you take this Purdue deal and Johnny gets addicted and Johnny wants to go to rehab, he can go to Mar for free. No one has said anything close to that. And yeah. so you don't, give, you don't give the architects of the opioid epidemic a free pass. And this is... Let, the bankruptcy let people, stand, let that's people know how much the parents are getting. Okay, so the average payout, just for the victims, the average payout's going to be $5,000, okay? Not enough to pay for a funeral, let alone rehabs, which actually cost more than funerals. That's the average. The very top payout, if you were prescribed it, addicted, you died. The very top payout's forty-eight thousand. Okay, minus your lawyer fee, minus expenses. Very few people are going to get that. Me myself, because my son was never prescribed it, I'm either going to get zero or thirty-five hundred dollars. Well, I never got in this. It was not about the money for me. I wanted to make sure the records didn't get sealed. I didn't, I wanted to make sure that they just didn't walk away. And I got to say something. All these attorney generals who initially agreed to take three and a half billion and just let them walk away with immunity, they should be ashamed of themselves. And Mara Healy is not one of them. She fought it right now. So it went from three and a half billion to five and a half billion. But you had... You had, I think it was 26 attorney generals just willing to take their three and a half billion. Oh, yeah, sure, just give it to us. And again, like I said, they didn't say anybody who needs rehab is going to be able to go. That's never been said. And it still hasn't been said. And, and you know, if there was any anything that would, could help, that would be a huge help. Well, Ed, I want to thank you for your time today. Uh, this has been quite a session.
And I can tell you, you have the, the energy to keep going. It's too bad the show isn't for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Darren. And every, everybody watch Dope Sick on Hulu. And yeah, that's, that's the number one thing that any that anybody is. can see how, how terrible this family is and how they are the worst, the most evil person on earth has been Richard Sackler since Adolf Hitler. And I can tell you, that's, that's a pretty sound statement. And anybody who's related to them, you know, or anybody that's involved with them, they just, you know, we need to make sure that they're going to they're gonna feel it the rest of their life. The worst the thing. Cartel. Yeah, you guys, people that have never lost a child. I had the child die. I keep using that word lost, but it's not true that they died. That feeling you get when the, the nurse told me, sorry, sir, your son has expired. And he gave, she gave me the time of day. And I'm like, what? Expired? You know, I mean, what the hell is that? And I got that on a phone call. I, I called the hospital and they gave me that in the phone call. And you, when the two paramedics said to you, sorry, sir, there was nothing we could do. You know, it's right. too late. Um, you know, that's got to be stopped, as you're saying. And we've got to just keep going after them in every angle we can for Purdue. And actually, Johnson & Johnson's a big violator. Johnson & Johnson, McKesson, and, yeah. and Cardinal, Cardinal Health. So before you shop at, you know, at, at uh, Walgreens or CBS, you know, look at that bottle of Avino. It's made by Johnson & Johnson. Do you want to give money to people who are the most corrupt company in America? Think about what these people have done, you know, and, and Johnson & Johnson right now is selling way more opioids than Purdue probably is. And yep, they're one they, of the worst. They filed Purdue's game plan. So yeah. I don't know how much time we got left, but Johnson Johnson bankruptcy. So, you know, it came out that baby powder causes cancer. So Johnson Johnson Johnson's getting sued. Well, guess what? They, they spun off the baby powder to a separate division. They gave that, that company, like, I forget, like, you know, uh, a hundred million, whatever, which is nothing to Johnson and Johnson. So now the people are suing, they have to sue this division. Johnson and Johnson ain't even going to, ain't going to sweat nothing. There's no justice. They still have asbestos in that baby powder. Still, because it comes as part of the way that they, the way that they farm it, you know, but anyway, we are out of time. And again, okay, I really want to thank you, Ed. And if somebody wants to join your organization, do they go to rap.com? Or is Just come. I, I come to my Facebook page. I have a rap, a rap page. Just search Relatives Against Purdue Farmer on Facebook. Just like it and okay. just follow it. And then if we do another protest, I'll be announcing it. But it's more like being aware. I, I, Almost every day I post an article and just being aware and, and, you know, we'll never, ever let the world forget what the Sacklers have done. Never, ever. That's good. Thank you. Keep up the fight. 